Blog Talk Radio. I get into that song so much, sometimes I'm tempted to play it twice. But, you know, we only got so much time. You only have an hour, and I don't want to be a DJ side or anything like that. I have no intention. Folks, what's going on? Hope all is going well this holiday season in the States or wherever you may be. To all my folks out there in, in DRC, particularly the East, if you're listening now, and just hoping uh, this tells you that you're not being forgotten. There are a lot of us out here on the East Coast, out here in the States, outside of Congo, fighting on your behalf, advocating on your behalf. This is Saeed Yenyekekese de Benga broadcasting live from Los Angeles on a cold, dreary day. Yes, it is not. No, it is not. 90 degrees plus. It is hot and sunny. It is drizzling. It is cold outside. I feel like I'm back in Boston. So, anyways, let's get back to what's going on. Things are going well. A lot of things happen. I said today I was going to dedicate um, this show to answering a few emails. I've gotten a lot of emails, and I'm always asked, when are you going to answer my email? When are you going to answer my email? So we're going to answer some emails today. Uh, if you're out there in Wonderland, uh, if you want to give a call in, you can call in at 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892. You can also chat live with us on our webpage, actually. So that's uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash Saeed Dabenga, blogtalkradio.com backslash Saeed Dabenga. So why I get these emails together? Uh, let me see here. Oh, yes, another thing. Some folks are wondering, hey, what happened to you earlier at 2.30? I thought you were broadcasting. Yeah, actually, I was planning on broadcasting at 2.30 uh, this afternoon. I find it a little easier for people. But for some reason, when I went to uh, my settings on my page, it had me, um, it had my time set up for uh, American Samoa. So it had me at like two o'clock in the in the morning. It was some weird hours, so I literally couldn't get on at two thirty. And it, it, it kept, I tried to get uh, go live. I was told your show will broadcast in three hours. So for those that are waiting patiently for us, you know, I really appreciate your patience. Uh, here we are. So let's get these emails together in the interim. Let's see if I can get some music playing for you guys. Uh, let's see here. What can we give for you guys? Well, I was going to play some Kofi Day, but from what I understand, he was he actually did a performance in, uh, in Rwanda a couple of days ago. I was told by my younger brother up in Oregon. And apparently Sean, Paul, and Shaggy were performing with him and appeared with him. So uh, Kofi hasn't performed there in about 17 years. So for him to go there and perform there, now if I can find some video footage where he articulated the suffering and misery that was going on because of Rwanda, then I'll play some stuff. Until then, I'm not playing nothing. <laughs> but this is a boycott. Let's see. He didn't play there for 17 years, so what I'm going to do is for 17 days, I'm not going to play any Kofi Alumade. You know, I'm sorry, but he betrayed us. Unless, again, he went there and during his uh, 
cho-cho break. He said, just to let you know, we have to end this, this, this nonsense in Congo. We have to end what's going on. You know, if you want peace, you need to be friends with the Congolese. You can't be invading the Congolese. Something like that, I, I will live with that. Anything short of that, I don't care. So for 17 days, we're going to boycott Kofi Lumide. If he's listening, you don't like it, he can send me an email. He can call in. In fact, let me make sure he has the number because he may be saying I'm speaking English too fast. Let me get that number from him. Kofi Lumide, if you're out there listening, my number is 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892. My lingala is not good. I know your English is good because I remember using L.A. So if you have any questions about as to why I'm, I'm advocating a boycott of you, well, now you know why. And if you want to clarify why you're in Rwanda performing while those guys are slaughtering in the East, then I'll be, I'll be here for the next 55 minutes. So I'm waiting for you. Uh, also, we had launched uh, where I teach uh, technology at New Design Charter School. We launched the uh, radio for, internet radio for two of my students, uh, Brianna Boche and Kiara Austin. So they did their first live broadcast actually from my uh, classroom. They did, very, they did very well. They were very excited at first, you know, really glad to be on the air and stunned to hear themselves on the air. But, you know, they got a couple of callers. You know, they actually started getting more comfortable. Uh, check them out for you students out there. You know, they're in uh, uh, high school, uh, eighth grade. So you can find them at blogtalkradio.com backslash radio, And that's B as the letter, free radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com backslash com. Now, here's some emails we're going to answer, and then we'll take a small uh, musical break. And again, you can chat with me live. We'll be here for another 50 minutes. So I get some questions in. If you want to save your uh, minutes on your cell phone or you don't have access to a phone, but you have, somehow you have access to a computer, um, so, you know, chat with me. You know, I'll definitely talk to you that way. And if you're on Skype, you know, give us a call. So here we go. First email is from uh, Dale in Vancouver. Man, it's cold in L.A. What's it like in Vancouver? Oh, what's the update on your film, Once Upon a Time in the Congo? Is it finished? No, Dio. It is not finished. First off, thanks for writing in. I appreciate it. No, it is not finished. We actually are doing a few more scenes. We shot a scene a couple of days, back in October, this past October, that was uh, actually funded by Natalie, I can never pronounce her last name, Beth Neal. She's from Chad. And Mr. Professor Sylvester Ogbechi, I think I'm mispronouncing his last name also. He's a professor of linguistics in uh, north of California. North, I'm sorry, north of Los Angeles. I think Cal State he is teaching at, oh, the UC Berkeley. I'm not too sure, actually. But anyway, uh, the thing we wanted to shoot that we want, I had wanted to shoot for some time, actually for almost a year after our last directive uh, pulled out, which really surprised me because I thought he was doing a good job. We had a scene that was left open. If you go to MySpace, um, put in Once Upon a Time in the Congo, you'll probably see You'll probably you'll see the scene that I'm talking about that uh, was already shot, and the scene we just shot back in October was to fill in. So, no, the film is not finished. When it will be finished, we're going to have our premiere either April 6th or August 7th, August 2nd. August 2nd being the day that we were invaded, or April 6th, the day the plane was shot down by... Um, the Rwandan rebels led by uh, the RPF. 
So we're just trying to make sure the date we do the uh, release the film is on a date that's very symbolic. Now, I'm te- really tempted to look at June 30th. Um, we have a, another scene I like to shoot. Basically, for those that don't know, we're doing a film called Once Upon a Time in the Congo. It's about a young lady named Geneva Omero. She's from Atlanta. She's doing her uh, graduate studies, and she's interviewing uh, a gentleman by the name of Hatari Sinji, who claims, who says he's a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. Um, she's totally unaware that this guy is actually uh, a wanted general from the Rwandan army who was responsible for, who was part of the invasion of Rwanda in 94 by the RPF and then was one of the senior officers in Rwanda invaded Congo. That's basically what the film is about. Um, the, I actually know there's actually another piece to it in reference to uh, a girl named Kita that Hatari had murdered during one of his massacres in eastern Congo. And her older brother, Patrice, along with his friend, Mulele, uh, hired by a survivor of one of Hatari's massacres to go find this guy, to find Hatari. At the same time, Kinshasa, the government there, wants Hatari alive because he has information on people inside the government in Kinshasa. And he has more information on those that were responsible for the invasion of Congo. So that's basically what the, that is what the film is about. Uh, there's Lingala in there, Kiswahili, Chaluba, English, a little bit of French. Uh, I get asked a lot why, this is a weird question, why I don't have it all in English. I said because we have our own languages and we have to edify, we have to showcase and be proud of our languages, not just always do a Congolese film, film or Chadian film in French. Okay? We have our own population and we should be proud of our culture and our language. Um, that's basically the status. The last scene we did in October is when uh, my character, Saeed, I couldn't think of another name, so I just named Saeed. Um, so it's not for any egotistical reasons. Uh, my character gets a call from Siaka. Ironically, the, the character's real name is Siaka because I didn't really feel like thinking of another name. Uh, he's actually from Sierra Leone. Uh, he's calling me in reference on behalf of Mulele to find out where I am because he's looking for my brother, Patrice. And at the time I received the phone call, I'm actually in Haiti. The footage looks very nice. It looks very good, actually. Sounds good. It's very crisp. The colors are strong. So right now I'm going to talk to a friend of mine, uh, Thomas Gertz, who was actually the audio gentleman on the film to see if he'd like to edit it. If not, I'm going to speak to another good friend of mine, Harold Brown, see if he wants to uh, do the editing on it. So we'll see. But right now, the, uh, um, no, it's not finished. That is the update. And we're looking at the date of April 6th to release it August 2nd or as I was talking to you I was thinking about maybe June 30th I think that would be a good thing it's probably maybe an Independence Day party let's go to another question here uh, Dale thank you for sending in your email another question is Stacy in Dallas hi Stacy what's going on hope you're doing well uh, her question is what do you think about the peace talks in Kenya will they work my answer no <laughs> um, and it's not being um, I think that word is facetious or be smart mop I just don't really think they're going to work. We've had so many peace talks. We had peace talks at the ICD. We had the peace talks when we were invaded. We have the peace talks in 98. We have the peace talks. We just have all these peace talks, and the peace talks don't really do anything but allow one part. I mean, now, let's, let's back up. Stacy. there are people involved in the peace talks that really are truly committed to having peace be a result of these conversations, these talks. Sadly, Stacy, on the other side of the coin, there are people out there who just want to have peace talks to stroke their own ego so they can be on Yahoo.com and have pictures taken of them saying, hey, we're at the peace talks. Talk about what's going on in Congo. You know, while they're talking, they stay in a nice little hotel, have their nice little food and all that stuff, 
and the people that want the peace of mo- that need the peace the most are basically getting slaughtered to oblivion in eastern eastern Congo. Will they work? So no, they won't work. Oh, um, I just don't see how it's going to happen. What they're going to do? What's going to negotiate? Nkunda fled the Congolese army. He, all right, he's trying. He's leading a rebellion. He's murdering, slaughtering people. The FDLR, those Rwandan Hutu cowards who fled into Congo and too much of a punk to go back. You know, they're part of the problem. So the next email might actually address your question. Well, for me, unless there's a disarmament and a surrender and punishment of Nkunda, FDLR, and those around him, peace talks aren't really going to do anything. You know, and in fact, I believe a couple of days ago, they said the peace talks were uh, stalled and near collapse because the rebels, quote-unquote, had to keep talking to their leaders who should have actually been at the meeting themselves. But, you know, let me explain something to you, that these meetings, what happens is that you see this in other countries, but you see the, you see the big man syndrome in the little men. And by that, I mean, if I can't be president, you know, Bemba and Kunda and those guys, they can't be president of the country legitimately. They'll be presidents in their little occupied zones illegitimately. So Bemba, Wama Diawamba, those guys, and even Nkunda, they'll, set up this, they'll, they'll take you know, they'll take a little militia movement, take over a little area, and then they'll make themselves presidents. Then they'll have a vice president. Then they'll have a secretary of state. Then they'll have a secretary who's in charge of external communications. Then they'll have a secretary who's in charge of sports. And then they'll have a, uh, athletics. Then they'll have a, a secretary who's in charge, or I'm sorry, a minister in charge of uh, education, a minister in charge of defense, a minister in charge of finance. Uh, this is what happens. This is what they do when they take all these little areas, Okay. If you don't believe me, go find RCD Goma's website or something like that and see what they listed. They literally had a, a government within a little small the area that they occupied. So that shows their true intention. And then it was time for the signatures to be um, um, taken at the uh, Lusaka, part of the Lusaka Corps down there in Sun City in South Africa. You know, Wamba and all those guys were fighting about well, who's going to sign. And they all wanted to sit there and act like they were big players in the game. But look what happened now. Where are they? So, Ms. Stacy, no, I'm not confident the peace. I'm not confident the peace talks will work. I think they will fail, and I basically just think it's a waste of time of people trying to look good, trying to profile the camera so they can show to people abroad that hey, like the African Union guys, hey, look what we're doing, look what we're doing. You ain't doing nothing, you know. Next question, but Stacy, thank you for writing in. I hope it's a little warm in Dallas and it is here in L.A. The next question is from Arlette in Miami. I have a friend named Arlette. She lives up in Canada in, uh, I believe, Toronto is where she stays at. So uh, Arlette in Miami, thank you for sending the email. Her question is, do you think a military solution is better than a peaceful solution? At this stage of the game, yes. That's just my answer. We, we've done how many conferences, how much money has been spent, and how, much, how, how many lives have been saved as a result of these conferences. Tell me. You know, I'm going to share some history here. I'm going to share a, a history lesson here with uh, folks out there, uh, out there in the uh, Internet world, cyberspace, as they say. Uh, during the Vietnam War, when the North was uh, fighting against the South, when you had the North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong, who was uh, you know, part of uh, the offensive to reunite the country. Um, the peace deal that was proposed, first off, they argued about the shape of the table for the peace conference almost like about weeks. So that's how people can, can get, you know, we, we want this kind of table, we want that kind of table, no, we want peace. 
Um, but what happened anyways is that the peace deal allowed that was finally signed allowed for the Viet Cong to maintain their positions in South Vietnam. And what that meant was they had already uh, infiltrated South Vietnam. They had, you know, hidden bases down there. They, but during the peace treaty that was signed, I believe President Nixon, yes, was still in power and he wanted a peace deal. It allowed the Viet Cong and some North Vietnamese army to maintain their position in South Vietnam. Uh, South Vietnam. The South Vietnamese president at that time, whose name escapes me, I think it was Dong Phan Phu. I might be, I, I, I apologize to my Vietnamese listeners if I'm saying it incorrectly, but um, what happened was he was furious because he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He said, we're going to have a peace and these guys are going to be in my territory? Oh, no, that's not going to happen. But you know, Nixon, you know, basically threatened him with, you know, lack of military support. And previous to that negotiations, um, he had conducted an 11-day war in North Vietnam. This is uh, President Nixon. Where basically he was bombing Hanoi to uh, North Vietnam to oblivion. You know, his hands, you know, the military lead generals, things like that, felt their hands were tied because, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson was always picking the targets. And the military said, let us win the war. So eventually, when Nixon came to president, Richard Nixon came to power, he said, I want you to win the war. And basically, for 11 days straight, they were bombing North Vietnam, literally to oblivion. They had POWs who were saying that um, they, could, you know, they were being treated a lot nicer all of a sudden. Then later on, they found out why. Now, let's come back to this. What happened, though, was when Richard Nixon was impeached and had to leave office, the North Vietnamese, North Vietnamese Army was, doing, was uh, launching another offensive against the South. So once they realized the Americans were gone and were not going to provide air cover, you know, because it was the air cover that was, that was deterrent to North Vietnam invading the South, um, what happened was the Viet, they joined up with the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese soldiers that were already in South Vietnam. And basically the fall of Saigon took place and the country was reunited. This is the problem with the solution, the peaceful solution we'll have in Congo. Let me come back to the Vietnam situation. The, the, a lot of the generals and even a lot of the Vietnamese administration in the South did not want a peaceful, um, uh, um, what's that word, uh, settlement. They wanted to crush the Vietnamese um, military and the Viet Cong so that they would never become a problem. That was what they wanted to do but they were overruled by the Nixon administration. I link that, Ms. Arlette, back to Congo. If there's a peaceful solution, I mean, if there's this a peaceful resolution, this whole thing, and Kuna's not going to disarm. His people will still be armed. FDLI will still be armed. The folks that have the guns will still be armed. And so what kind of peace is there? There'll be peace as long as these guys feel like, you know, we don't have nothing to gain at this moment. But once they don't like what's going on, they're going to take arms again. There needs to be a military solution. I know folks are like, we've had enough killing. Yes, we've had enough killing. But how many conflicts have we had? There has to be a military solution that goes hand-in-hand with the peace. Surrender or face consequences. Folks know where the CNDP is. You know, they can't find Nkunda. Why don't they just call Anderson Cooper? He knows where he is. Anything wants to interview him, he can find him. You know, I think Ben Affleck spoke to him also. So I don't believe, I believe I prefer a military solution. If it's going to be the only solution, then so be it. But folks have to understand that when you betray the country or rebel against the country or you want to jeopardize peace, murder innocents, slaughter innocents, enslave child uh, soldiers, 
rape young women as young as three years old, as old as 80. There's no justification. Now, there's going to be a peaceful, peaceful solution, and the, the veil of impunity is going to be pulled back, and these guys can be uh, brought to trial and be punished. So be it. But me personally, I just think a military solution is a better alternative to this. Particularly with the fact that while they're having these peaceful con- these peace conferences, it was stated by observers that the Rwandan military has been launching artillery rounds, you know, from tanks into Congo. So why is there a peaceful conversation taking place in Nairobi, but Rwanda has troops going to Congo, they're shot, firing artillery rounds into Congo. So where's the outrage? You know, where's the violation of national sovereignty? So there's my answer to you. I prefer a military solution so that you, you, you put the guys down that they can never get up again. If they want to make change, they can do it by uh, the political process. So, Mr. Arlette, thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. We're going to do one more email, then we're going to do, take a break for we're going to take a break for music. Ashley, let's do it now. Wait, I get a chat here. I get an email here, a, a text. So, wants to get one more question. One more question. All right, it's actually Wayne in New York, and the question is from Wayne in New York. So, okay, Wayne in New York, I will answer your question. Then we'll take a break. All right, Wayne and Wayne, thank you for the email. He says his question is, what do you think the Congolese in the U.S. can do? I think the Congolese in the U.S., particularly those that are that were born here, that are American citizens, need to get more involved in the political process. You know, uh, President-elect Obama was instructed to see two senators, two congresspeople. I can't remember their names, but they're both of Cuban descent, and he he was he was recommended to talk to them, reference to the Cuban embargo. All the people in the in the government here in the states in the USA. Um, from what, I may not know all of them, but I have yet to see a representative that was Congolese or of Congolese descent that could be a spokesperson or lead the charge. So far, we've had a lot of senators and congressmen, and some have done good work, some have, and some have profited from what's going on. But I've seen a lot of non-Congolese doing you know, a lot of the advocating and things like that, which is fine. But to many of the Congolese, particularly those, again, that were born here, I think are just sitting too far back in the, in the backdrop. I think we need to get more involved in the political process. Marching is fine, protesting is fine, but we have to start getting into the political process, whether it be councilmen, assemblymen, um, school board, uh, board of supervisors, mayor, Congress, what have you. We have to get we have to get inside. You know, we already have the outside game with our guards. You know, on the basketball court and the forwards. Now we got to take care of our inside game with the center. So I think that's one thing that the colonies can do here, particularly in, in the United States specifically. Uh, we're not talking anywhere else, somewhere right here. Uh, they can do specifically is to get more involved in the political process. You can, you know, vote for President-elect Obama, but his policy is always going to be directed to the interests of the United States. Uh, to, many of our, to many of us Congolese, our interest is those of other people instead of Congo. That's one aspect. Now, there are Congolese out there doing things. Again, Nede Azali. I never pronounced her last name uh, correctly, but she's in charge of uh, Congo Global Action. She's doing things. She's really doing things out there. Um, there's uh, Fumu up in the Bay Area. He's doing some things uh, with, his, with his organization. I think it's Inga Association. Uh, again, there's Leja Bulela, uh, the chairman being Dr. Martin Kabongo. They're doing things. So things are being done. I just think people aren't really supporting these initiatives that, that are taking place because not realizing they can have a great impact uh, uh, down the road in reference to Congo. I also think that I know um, there was a resolution passed in North Carolina. I'm not sure exactly what day 
this is escaping me, but there was a resolution passed in North Carolina uh, in reference to Congo and Congo and things like that. So, you know, we can have, you know, those, I think those are a step in the right direction. Sadly, though, uh, Sudan, there was hundreds of resolutions or what have you and divestment um, for Sudan in reference to Darfur. It hasn't slowed down the situation or changed the situation whatsoever in Darfur or Sudan overall. So on one hand, we have, you know, resolution and Congolese taking the initiative to make these things happen, which we definitely need. Conversely, though, you have to wonder sometimes, it's like, hey, we got a resolution passed or we got this this uh, motion passed, and then it's like, okay, now what? You know, how many people have died since, you know, the resolution has been passed? How many people have died in Congolese? So we're getting the word out there. The word is getting out there. The word has actually been out there about the Congo. But for some reason, folks just seem to think there's not really been a lot of coverage about the Congo, but th- there's been a, a ton of co- coverage on the Congo. I post on my listserv. You know, I think I'm at about almost 7,000 messages. I'm finding this information. I think it's, it's getting people to realize they have uh, their lives or what have you is linked to what goes on the DRC. So the Congolese who, you know, who are doing the things, you know, with the protests, uh, talking to city council, um, talking with their elected officials or what have you, they're doing things. Right now we have to figure out ways to let people know back home um, that we're doing things. So I think too many people back home are thinking we've forgotten about them and they wonder why aren't the Congolese helping us or why they show up back here like they're big people. But where are they? What's happening? Because ironically, the gentleman from, um, uh, is it Pendway Hospital in Congo? I can't remember his name, but he got a uh, UN humanitarian award a couple of days ago. So the Congolese in the U.S., Wayne, we just have to, you know, be more proactive, more active, be focused on the prize, and really raise the awareness among people who who really want to do things but don't know how. Because there's one thing I noticed about the resolution that kind of stood up in my mind was that I actually listened to the whole thing. It was it was cool. Yes, there's a lot of Congolese down there. But it mentioned the Congolese dying, you know, 45000 a month or what have you. And it mentioned the, how many were killed and stuff like that, you know, who are dead now. But there's no mention in that resolution about Rwanda or Uganda, particularly specifically Rwanda. So it's like, again, it creates the image. And this is, another, this is, not, this is not shooting down the resolution being passed. It's saying it's another opportunity that, that, was, that was passed by. I, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm the end all, the final voice. This is just my opinion. Yeah. And for me, it was like I was kind of dismayed that the council people couldn't lease, or I don't know who wrote it for them, so maybe someone wrote it for them and gave it to them. But there's no mention of how we got into this situation in the first place. We have to be very careful that a lot of people, even particularly a lot of these NGOs and these lot, a lot of these nonprofits, when they hear folks are dying and many dead, they're looking at the opportunity to expand their, you know, almost like missionaries. They're looking at this, their opportunity to expand their base. So, and then we create the situation in reference to, well, they're dying and from malnutrition and starvation. But whoa. Uh, we have to clarify that, and I'll do that after on the other side of the music, on the on our little music break. But if people just think we're just dying, they're gonna think, oh, what was them? Maybe they're not eating enough food or something like that. But if you come out and say they're dying because they're they're you know they're being murdered or they, their hospitals are being destroyed, basically, then I think people's attitudes will be a little different. So Wayne, I hope I asked your question. Um, we'll take a few more questions on, on the other side of our music. 
So let's take a small break here. Uh, what are we going to play for you guys here? Uh, let's see. Let's do a little tribute uh, to the people out there in Wonderland. I think last week we gave you a little Kanye West, I believe so, right? So there was a great song by Miriam McKeever, who passed away recently, a major loss to the music scene of Africa and to the world overall. So let's dedicate this. There's a song she did called Congo. Let's dedicate this song to the people of the culture, to the people of the DRC and the people of the world. And this will answer one of my emails from Carrie in Houston. She wants to know if I can dedicate a song to the Congo uh, for her, for, for me. This one. Email says, can you dedicate a song to the Congo for me? That's from Carrie in Houston. So, Carrie, if you're listening, we're going to dedicate this song on your behalf. It's Miriam McKebe, uh, Congo. Again, that was beautiful. Uh, Mary McKeever, you know, 
there's a song she did, uh, Pata Pata, which is actually um, part of my younger brother's name, Kamala Pata, and my younger sister, Mwadi, loves that song. In fact, it might play uh, Pata Pata. I think I, vis- I see, I remember my sister Mwadi dancing at our house back there in Boston on Washington Street. On Washington Street. So, but, you know, Marion McKeever is a base of tragic loss. Her music's here, so she's with us here spiritually, you know, still here with her, with her music. And that was her singing a song entitled Congo. Can't tell if she was singing in Lingala. I'm not too sure. Maybe someone can write in and tell me or what have you. All right. Let's get back to our next email. It is from Giselle in England. Man. This email just came in. What time is it over there? You're not a friend of Giselle in uh, Indiana. Um, so Giselle in England. Thank you for sending in your email. I appreciate it. Her question is, is the United Nations part of the problem or part of the solution? I can almost start laughing when I saw that part. So, um, they're both actually. You know, they're part of the problem because they're not really. It's kind of weird. They're child with protecting civilians, but when you see civilians being displaced at the number that our people are being displaced, you wonder, well, what, 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 isn't that part of protect, pro, 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 protecting them from being displaced? You know, if these guys do an offensive and it moves half of Los Angeles one direction. They need, we need to go in there protect the civilians, the L.A. people, from being oppressed that way. So I'm not really understanding what they're doing. I understand they've done some missions where they've actually, you know, you know really have came into battle with the uh, rebels and militias out there, but they have the strongest mandate that's available to them. So you have to wonder, particularly when William Swing was there, you know, is their agenda just doing enough to, so that they're needed? Because they're making a lot of money, those U.N. folks. They get paid while they're there. Or is there something we're just not seeing? I just don't know. I don't know. But I feel the, U- the United Nations is part of the problem. You know, also on top of that, because they are there, they create a cottage industry around them. You know, one of the aspects of Nkunda was that they were saying that, you know, he sells milk and things like that. Well, who do you think he's selling the milk and the stuff like that to? The, you know, the U.N. soldiers. So I think he's part of the pro- I think the U.N. is part of the problem in that capacity. And are they part of the solution? Yes, to a certain extent, because, you know, they are, as a, they are creating, you know, um, there have been times with open corridors for refugees. There have been times where they have, you know, again, coming direct battle, fighting the militias and the rebels. And who knows what would happen if they weren't there. But I also think on top of that, you know, they're just, you know, who, they, it's, was long, certain, it's not just the rebels who are benefiting by the, by the UN being there. It's other people. So we'll save that part for another conversation. So, yes, Giselle in England, uh, the United Nations is part of the problem, and they're part of the solution. And I think whatever results from this uh, peace talk that's taking place in Kenya will, should really resolve the situation of how the U.N. is going to move forward. Because Skarsowski, I believe I'm pronouncing it uh, incorrectly, but the president of France, he's a, he just said he's against a, U, a EU force going to Congo you know, until the U.N. gets more troops down there from, you know, he's against that. So already you see that the people like Belgium, the, you know, the governments like Belgium, France, those guys are making money. They have made money out of this murdering uh, extermination in eastern Congo. Yet when it comes to maintaining the peace, it's like they want to argue, say, well, we're, not in, we're against it. Well, what other options are there right now? I'm not talking about, I'm not taking responsibility off the Congolese army or the officials there. No, I'm not doing that. Right now I'm just talking about the UN and by extension the EU, the European Union. So 
what's going to happen now? So we'll see. I mean, the French were the ones that were responsible for the Rwandan Hutus uh, into Hamway and those guys coming into Congo. But conversely, they did bring the hammer down in Ituri between the Lindu and the Hema when they were up there, you know, slowing down that murder slaughter up there. So there's your answer, Giselle, in England. Uh, next question is, wow, Eduardo, and thank you for your email, Ms. Giselle. Our next question is from Eduardo in Mexico. Hola, Senor Eduardo. Okay, that's about as much um, uh, Spanish that I know. This question is, do you feel you are having an impact on what is going on in Kivu? You know, Eduardo, I really don't know. I just don't know. I mean, if maybe someone hears my voice or someone hears something I've done or something I've done with other people and it lets them know, hey, they're not forgetting, they haven't forgotten about us, they're coming, they're going to do something for us. Um, until I hear something like that, I don't. I really can't answer that question. I don't know who's who in back home is listening. I don't know what person in uh, position of power is listening. I don't know. They may be listening and just really want to see what direction uh, I'm going or what ideas they may I may have. I don't know. But all I can say is I'm praying that I am having an impact or making a difference to the people what's going on back in Kivu and to a larger extent in DRC. That's why I was doing the Congo film. You know, the Rwandans, I did a spreadsheet one day of how many films were about Rwanda and that genocide and how many films were about Congo and our extermination. And I think at last count, there was 32 films about Rwanda that were about the genocide or centered around the genocide or reference the genocide, but they were basically about the mass killing. Zero films about the war in Congo. And I'm not talking about documentaries. I'm talking about actual films, like Hotel Rwanda and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's my mission. Well, one of my missions in this is that this, you know, this blog here, my this station, um, Once Upon a Time in the Congo, is basically to show what's going on, to show people what's happening, you know, this is what's happening. And then they can't, they, well, they can't say they didn't know. Because, you know, in reference to, like, the Break the Silence movement, and, you know, much love to the movement, there's not really, there's really, ha- this may really sound almost odd, but there really has been a lot of coverage. But now, okay, it's been out there. I've seen it, New York Times, L.A. Times, front page. I cut the stuff out or I post it. So there's been a lot of those things, a lot of coverage. The problem is, okay, now what? You read an article that they basically destroyed half of Goma, now what? Where the article when Kunda's men have raped 150 people, murdered them in a refugee camp, now what? You see that the peace talks have collapsed in Kenya. You read that in the Daily Metro in New York, whatever. Now what? Okay, there are, there, there are articles out there. Now what is the question? That might be a conversation when I bring a guest in or if someone wants to answer that, send me an email. Now what? People say, well, we're getting attention. We're getting attention. Okay, people... Not getting attention. But what that guy said in that movie, Hotel Rwanda, that was played by Nick Nolte when he said, you know, I think he was talking to uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character or was it Don Cheadle's character when he said, okay, the people back in the United States in their homes, they're going to turn the TV, see mass killings in Rwanda, and they're going to say, oh, that's too bad, and go back to the dinner party. That's happening now, you know. You know, the film I'm working on, the resolution that got passed in North Carolina, the 
the phone conference that Nita and Alex doing with Global Congo Global Action, um, Fumu, other people who are, who are out there protesting and have been doing so for a long time, marching and getting the word out. We're doing, you know, we're doing stuff. But when it comes down to people say, hey, we need more media coverage, okay, now what? Ann Curry went to Congo. Angela Jolie went to Congo with my friend John Prendergast. Ben Affleck went to Congo. Anderson Cooper went to Congo. Uh, what's the young lady's name that went to Oprah? Her name is Lisa Ling. I could be wrong. Went to Congo. Now what? You know, now what? We need to show that what's, you know, if this will, if, if the offshoot is that every time President Kagame shows his face in the United States, people will say, why are you doing this in Congo? If that starts happening, then, you're, then, then everything will basically will stop the domino effect because he does what he does because he has the support of the people and the international community. And the international community are those that are beyond the Congolese border. So we can show what's going on and make it where every time he's questioned about what's going on, you know, he has to deal with that situation. I think that's going to help. Like I said, we can, maybe we can't get him an international court of justice, but we can try him and find him guilty in an international court of public opinion. So there's my question to you, uh, Eduardo, in Mexico. So let's take another break here. Then we'll come back to a few, uh, about three more questions, two more questions, and then we'll close out. So in honor of Eduardo in Mexico, Right. I'm going to play a little something for you for taking the time to, uh, you know, tune in and listen in and stuff like that. All right. Hold on here, my friend. I'll give you some uh, Mi Hermanita by Eventura, my bachata. All right. This is dedicated to our Latino audience out there, spearheaded by, Mex- by uh, Eduardo in Mexico. Here we go. appreciate it. That's a little bit too slurry for them in the beginning. Something must be going on. I think I have a lot of, as I teach technology, we call it data collision. <laughs> so, 
But uh, that was Evan Shore. I actually heard that song when I was first in Miami back in 05, was it 06, something like that. So, all right, folks, we have 16 minutes left here. Let me get back to a few more emails. Um, let's see. This is from April in North Carolina. April, what's going on? Uh, her question is, and I think I just touched on this in a previous email from Eduardo, but her question is, is the press covering the Congo enough? It, it all depends. You know, you have to define. Um, you know, you have to define enough. You know, is it, is it enough to, I think maybe, April, you're asking, is it enough to start a movement of people really coming together and doing their things? I, I don't know. I don't know what enough is. I really don't know what enough is. I really don't know what enough is. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what I can say. I know I'm seeing a lot of press coverage. Again, on my list server, I posted a lot um, to the site to let people know what's going on. And I posted about seven. Oh, and I counted it today. Well, I didn't count it, but I looked at the number, and I was like at 6,900 posts of just information about what's going on with DRC and things related to DRC. Um, the Times, the New York Times is doing an article. They're doing articles in, in, in New York, obviously, New York Times, L.A., stuff like that. But what is it really doing? You know, is it, is it, uh, it brings up the question again of, okay, now what? So I think we're getting enough coverage. Can we get some more coverage? Yes. I think maybe we can have some more coverage in media in terms of film and short documents, short films about what's going on, showing what's happening. It's one thing to write that, you know, women was dragged out of their hut or their homes or and raped and murdered, or the children was conscripted into child soldiers. It's an, quite another thing when you're sitting there looking at it on the screen. Because I remember when I was going to saw a movie, City of God, there was a scene in there where these little kids were being told by the guy named Zay to basically, you know, hey, if you, want, if you want to live, shoot yourself in the foot. And I remember vividly watching this private screening, and the lady was like, a, a female audience member was sitting in front of me, right as the kid was contemplating to do and was almost ready to do it, she got up and walked out of the audience. So... I think if we start creating images that will have lasting memories, I'll like, look, this is what's going on. This isn't no humanitarian situation. This is extermination. Yes, I think that will uh, be enough to let people know I can't ignore it anymore. So on one hand, yes, I think the press is covering a lot of the DRC, regardless of what some people may think they are. But at the same time, now what? There's an article you see in the Alabama Daily, whatever it's called down there in Alabama, and hello to my folks in Alabama. You read the article, you're disappointed, you're dismayed, like, oh, my God, what's going on? Oh, what can I do? What can I do? Okay, we need to connect that person who's, like, asking, what I can I do, what can I do, with somebody who was doing something for the benefit of the Congo, not for the benefit of themselves, because we have too many people out there who are using Congo to uplift themselves, and they know who they are. They think they don't, that people don't know, but it is very obvious. You can tell. So... We have to, if the press can get someone to say, what can I do, and in their heart they want to do something, then I think that's what we best, that's people think that. But then we have to, Congolese specifically, have to take that opportunity to say, hey, look, this is what you can do. Let's do this. Let's work together, or how can I support you? All right? So that's my answer to you, Ms. April in North Carolina. And our last question we will take here is, actually, we took this already. I don't know how she, she sent another email. Carrie in Houston. Hi, Carrie. I think she wants to get a subscription. We should, maybe we should be a subscription service or something like that. She wants to know, can I dedicate a song to the Congo? Well, I did that. Marion McKebe. Her song is Congo. So that was my dedication. But, you know, Congo's so big, I don't think one song's good enough. 
But before I get, I do another song for you, Miss Carrie. And I'll do that to take us out, you know, out of the show because we're coming to an end. Uh, we have about 12 minutes uh, remaining. What I'm going to do is, uh, okay, Carrie, I see another email. She's like, please keep playing. <laughs> she says something about um, wherever she is, she only has so much time to listen. So let's give a song here. Um, this is from, let's say it's my intro music act. Well, last year somebody used before. Now We Are Free from Gladiator. And I, I like that song, The Way It Flows. It reminds me of Gladiator where Maximus was all about avenging his family and restoring Rome to the glory that he believed it should be. I like the title, we, Now We Are Free. People, Congo is free. We have the free will to defend our country. We have the free will to do what we need to do to defend our people. So we're not slaves and we're not, we are free. We just have battles we have to confront and we have alliances we need to make. If the alliances are good for the country, that's good. If it's not good for the country, it's not. So I'm going to play this cut here, Now We Are Free. Uh, Hans Zimmer composed it. The lead singer is Lisa Gerard. Enjoy for a few. And then I'll come back to you with one last email, and then we'll close out the show.
song gets me every time when I listen to it. I always visualize, you know, it plays towards the end of the movie after Maximus has just killed Commodus. Sometimes I pay like, well, that should play it again. Nah, I'm not going to do that. I know some folks are using up their cell phone bench right now just listening in live. But I already know what I think about, you know, now we are free. Now we are free. As Dr. King said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. We have to define our freedom. We don't, you know, we don't, we have the right to live. We have a right to have a peaceful country, a strong country, a prosperous country. That's what everybody wants. That's the dream. It's not the American dream. It's not the Canadian dream. It's not the, the European dream. It's the, human, it's the humanity dream. So what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Now, I know what I'm going to do is tell you guys. Our regular hour is going to be from now on. I apologize for today. I know for us, 5.30 for us out here. It's 8.30 out there in New York on the East Coast. Our new time is actually going to be 2.30. Uh, 2.30 p.m. every Saturday. I'm thinking about doing a morning show, but I'm not too sure how I can set that up. But right now, I'm going to do 2.30 every Saturday. If it changes, I'll let you know ahead of time. Like, you know, this particular date, we will not be airing. We'll be airing on this particular day. And also, I'm going to be doing some location broadcasting also. So I'll be doing a broadcast from New York, Boston, wherever I'm traveling, I'm doing a, bro- a broadcast from there. And I want to start bringing you guests. You know, to let you guys know, again, it's not just, it's just isn't going to be about the Congo. It may seem like it, but that's true to my heart, but it's not just going to be about the DRC. It's going to be about a lot of other things, entertainment, other things I want to talk about. You know, life is good, life is good, life is good. Um, which reminds me about life is good. Uh, someone had asked me about, um, there's a woman in this film named Kita, and they had seen the cut and wanted to know about her. And Kita is played by a comedy actress, an actress named B.B. Amos, a great actress. She came in and auditioned for that role. Kita uh, is, again, the brother, the sister, I'm sorry, the sister. Trust me, you've seen B.B. Trust me, she's not the brother. She's the sister of uh, Catrice and the w- wife of Mulele. Great actress. Every, I mean, drop that beautiful. Everybody keeps saying that when they see her voice, her voice like, oh, this is the women now saying, oh, my gosh, she's so beautiful. But she can act. She can act. And she's done uh, non-quote-unquote African roles. And right now, um, there's a scene I want, to, I want to shoot that shows how, how evil Hatari is. Because when you see him in the clip, you don't really see how evil he is. So the scene I want to do is going to be very emotional, draining, I know, for uh, Bibi. But she's going to be able to pull it off. At the same time, there's actually something else I'm, I'm working on, a project we have called a Neo Song, where I, I would like to have B.B. Uh, play other characters like she has, and I mean other characters non-African, you know, because she's an actress, so she should be able to act any role she uh, has the skills to pull off. So I'm thinking about a part in there, but I'm thinking about some other things, but her name is B.B. Amos. It's a B as in Bob I, B as in Bob I, Last name is Amos, A-M as in Mary O-S, B-B Amos. You can go to uh, I-M-D-B, that's I, M as in Mary, D as in Delta, B as in Bravo, dot com. Put her name in, you'll see her name there. Um, so great actress. And one thing I like about doing the film, Once Upon a Time in the Congo, is that it's giving more of our people, particularly Congolese actors, uh, the opportunity to showcase themselves in other roles. 
kind of annoying word here in Hollywood where when they need some refugees, some child soldiers, or some rebel leaders, they come get the Africans or, you know, the Latinos, whatever. But when it comes to those strong roles where they can play uh, themselves as Africans or West Indians, then they'll get our brother Tan Cheeto to play uh, South, uh, the Rwandan guy from Hotel Rwanda. Or they'll get, like, Dennis Haysbury to play Mandela or what have you. And I'm, I understand sometimes why they do it, but I'm just, my attitude is like, if someone has the skills and the talent, let them pull them off. And BB, you know, Richard Shakaya, who people have said has a very strong presence on camera. And I just want to show some more of his range that he has. Um, I just, one thing I think coming back to what's on Act About the Congo film is that one reason I enjoy it is not because we're doing something for the country, but also it's showcasing talent from the continent. A Neil song, our lead role, uh, not Anil herself, but one of the lead roles was our, two of the lead roles of Bane was played by a Trinidadian and a, and a Jamaican. So there you go. Now, back to you guys. We have two minutes left. It's going to be time to wrap up. Listen up. Uh, note this number. You want to call in for future reference, 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892. Um, and you can chat live with us. I will be on air next Saturday at 2.30 p.m. And hopefully, uh, pray for the guests I'm working on getting will be available. If not, I'll get him somehow. I want to get Dave Donaldson on the line somehow. His book, Hearts of Diamonds, is one of my many projects, uh, media out there that I want to talk to you folks about and showcase and, you know, let you know there's certain, as the Americans say, uh, stocking stuffers for Christmas or Kwanzaa or what have you. And speaking about Kwanzaa, as my other sister Musao said, it's true. We celebrate Kwanzaa 365 days a year, not just one day. So if you're treating people really nice now because it's the Christmas time or what have you, do it year-round. Volunteer somewhere, help somebody, say hello to a homeless person walking down the street, you know, donate some clothes, empty out that closet, and figure out what your agenda is going to be, all right? Figure out what your agenda is going to be for 2009. Mine is being in a better place. Uh, spiritually, physically, and not just financially, but also Congo being a better place. If Congo's not a better place, I'm not satisfied. Folks, we got a long, long way to go. And on that note, I'll take you out with Long, Long Way to Go by Phil Collins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And I love you guys. I'm gone.